Friends, welcome to the Wild at Heart podcast. It is the week of May 15th. Before we take a step further, let's pause, release everything, find God, or at least make ourselves available to God in this moment. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. Everyone, everything to you. Restore our union today. Restore our union. Meet us as a community in this podcast. Meet me as an individual in this podcast. Restore our intimacy, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if you were not with us last week, you might want to go back and catch that episode because this is part two of a conversation with my son, Sam Eldridge, on, gosh, just a whole variety of things about the capacity to be present mm -hmm. to others in suffering mm -hmm. and what gets in the way of that. Why do we avoid it? Why do we why do we avoid it even in our own lives, being present to ourselves, being able to access it? And yeah. So Sam is in his uh, third and final year of grad school as a therapist, seeing clients now. And this was born out of that. We were just riffing on what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? And pretty quickly we got to mm -hmm. the gift that presence can be in people's suffering, in, in death itself. Mm -hmm. And gosh, just the fear and the awkwardness that most of us feel around that, and therefore the withdrawal right? and the checking out and the choosing to duck and run, if at all possible. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on, Dad. Um, the the domino trail for me began even in like the shallower end of the pool where I would sit with a friend who'd had an argument with his parents, you know, or his wife or as a dad. And I would feel this inadequacy in me to have the answer like, wow, okay. So you've had like a hard week, you've had a hard call, you've had a hard whatever. And it all in that kind of shallower end of that's super normal. That stuff happens all the time. That kind of man, I just got the call personally last week from the car dealer and I owed two grand in car repairs. And it was this like, huh. Yes. And why is it that then nobody has any words for that moment? We, in that moment we go, well, sucks to be you. Like, I, which is maybe we go to humor or maybe we kind of like try and go to sympathy, but I'm like, wow, I'm in the shallow end of the pool with like mild disappointments how deep does this thing go? And it it sure seems to continue into our suffering, other suffering, the mm. um, more uh, deep end of the pool type things like trauma, abuse, and death. And it was in that space that I began to kind of work my way back out. And it was, I, like I mentioned last time, the some of the writings of Irvin Yalom, who 
has this deep conviction of don't abandon other people to face things alone. You don't have to have the answer. Just be willing to face it together. And I, I just remember being brought to tears reading about that and kind of sitting with that going, right, I I want that in the deep end and in the shallow end. And why do why are we so poorly practiced at the whole spectrum of it? Mm. I was going to start riffing on why, but why? Why do you why do you think we are? Uh variety of reasons. Um at this point in my life, I kind of see people as I know in the daily prayer you break down multiple aspects of the self. Um spirit, soul, mind, heart, body, will. That gets a little complicated for most people. So I, I do kind of just look at people as you are mind and body and spirit. And what are the implications? So why did I go there when you asked me that question? Because I go, oh, I know the reasons on why for the body, like we fear pain, we fear discomfort. Our, our bodies are hardwired to escape from suffering, fire, hunger, you know, basic yes. survival instincts. So my, yes. right. So that's definitely at play. But what about the pieces of us that are mind and spirit? And in the old literature, Old Testament literature, there's not a huge differentiation, my understanding, between mind and heart. That kind of gets right. like interchangeable. So yeah. why do our hearts have such a hard time with suffering? Like I I think it feels overwhelming. I think we weren't – and part of me goes, I don't know that we were designed for it, but I don't know if I believe that to be quite honest. Like, I think there would have been, maybe if not suffering, certainly challenge. It, it was bitterness and futility that was entered into after the fall, but there was still work. There was still toil. There was still mastery. There was still wilderness. So something in me goes, I think personally that we pull away from it because we're unpracticed at it because it feels too big for us to handle. And some part of our design recoils like it just feels wrong it feels wrong to have this period at the end of somebody's sentence yes yeah and by that i mean like a death still feels really jarring it, yes. it, it feels confusing i do think we are equipped and ill-equipped equipped in the sense of the human body has tears mm -hmm. isn't that fascinating that and i don't think that was just to cleanse our eyes from you know pollen and debris I think the capacity is there to grieve, the capacity mm. to empathize, the capacity is there. What we were riffing on last week is it seems like to the degree that we are unwilling or unable to go there for ourselves, mm -hmm. we find ourselves in those moments of frozen, awkward silence, don't know what to say with others. Right. Right? And you go into the Psalms and you find this incredibly rich body of emotional expression. Yeah. Right? I love the Psalms because it, it makes me feel normal. I love you. You're amazing. You saved me. You've abandoned me. I'm alone <laughs> in my despair. Like it yeah. just is very- I believe. I don't believe. I believe. I don't believe. It's very yeah. helpful. It feels like, oh, that's a baseline that I think I could hit. Yes. Right. I think that we fear if we go into it that we won't come out. We, yes. We fear that it's a bottomless pit. Mm -hmm. We fear that our own personal suffering first before we go into others. It just feels like the, the soul that has spent some time 
mm. with their own well-being, with their own condition, with like tuning into emotions, tuning into how I'm doing, yeah. and walking into suffering as opposed to running from it as quickly as we can, that soul is – that's the person I want to be with. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, years ago, I think I wrote in Wild at Heart, I don't even – I don't trust a man who has not suffered. Mm. Now, let me pause on that and say there is a ton about our culture, though, that that causes us to run. People don't die in our presence anymore. Right. People hardly suffer in our presence anymore. Like we we whisk that away and try and make everything shiny and comfortable and good. Mm. Oh, and then flip the other switch and go all our media is would you like to see 17 images of the latest train accident that just happened in India like five minutes ago? Oh, hey, there was a bomb that just went off um, another totally. part of the world. Totally. Oh, okay. You know what? You want to relax? Okay. Why don't you turn on the latest post-apocalyptic gory show that involves all sorts of tragedy and harm? And you're like, so that's our news and our entertainment. Mm. But the actual human beings that you have contact with in your life, you have sterility from between – you are suffering in mm, theirs. Mm, That's yes. weird. Yeah. Something that has been actually a very, very rich part of my life in the last couple of years, I've found two things going on. I have found that the enemy is trying to use my suffering to separate me mm. from God and from others. Mm -hmm. And the increasing awareness of, oh, my suffering is a place of vulnerability where he's trying to get in with feelings of abandonment and betrayal and, you know, isolation. And the remedy applies to this podcast series because the remedy for me has been walk straight into the middle of it. Mm. Walk straight into the middle of my suffering and love God there. Because mm -hmm. as I do, then I access the other side of what the Psalms are, mm -hmm. right? That you are with me. You are a very present help in time of need. You, you meet me in my suffering. You comfort me. This is a shift for me because the ability to do that is increasing my ability to do it with others. Like if I can walk into my own suffering, name it, mm -hmm. emote, invite someone in, invite God there, right? It, then I'm I'm developing a new way. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It, I think we said this last time, but that idea that you can't take somebody anywhere you haven't gone yourself, mm -hmm. which isn't to say that you have had to walk through divorce or the loss of a child or a, that particular diagnosis to understand suffering. Yes. Like I, the, the comparison of suffering is wildly inefficient in what it does. It, it, it further isolates you. It diminishes you. And it makes you less likely to reach out to others. So when you begin to compare, the fruit of it is this horrible. Now, if you can go back to what you were just saying, your suffering, if you hold your suffering with it, the dignity that it is and also the weight that it has and walk into it, well, then you actually can do the same for others 
suffering, regardless of how nuanced or different it might be. Like yes. you, you've gone there yes. and that's what matters. Yes. Right. Well, okay. So back to Yalom, we're, we're riffing on Irving Yalom because um, he was a existentialist. Is he still alive? I think. Is he? Yeah, he is. Oh, good. Yeah. Is an existentialist psychologist. Doesn't know Christ yet. Hmm. Um, I actually had a friend who called him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Had a conversation just to tell him how much he appreciated his and his work and how yeah, um, it was used in our grad school. Apparently, it's also used in in your graduate mm-hmm. work. He did explore his faith with him a little bit. But one of Yalom's things is that it is the relationship that heals. Right. It is the relationship. It is your presence that heals, mm. not your answers. Mm. And so I think helping... Right. <laughs> helping one another because I feel it as soon as as soon as somebody's in a bad place I want to fix it mm-hmm. and that's of course I mean that's not only running from it that's also compassion love intervention but mm-hmm. the thing that matters in the moment most is the loving presence mm-hmm. that's offered to us yeah yeah I don't think your pull to fixing it is inherently wrong it's the way that it unfolds, right? You see somebody else's suffering, you want to help them out of it. Yes. But I can think of hundreds of scenarios that I've been the firsthand uh, casualty of where somebody does come in and try and like snap their fingers, get out of it. Like it makes them so uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't. That's actually not what I need. What I need is just for you to be with me. Yes. And I, I, as we were chatting about before, like that can be incredibly lonely when you don't have somebody to come and be with you because we're naming right now, we are a culture, we are a people that is unskilled at this. Yes. We are not walking around going, oh, you know what? My friend Tiffany just had a really brutal week. I'm just going to go. I'm going to bring her a meal and I'm just going to sit. Like who does that? Maybe a handful of people. So I think we're kind of destined a little bit to have experienced the longing, the ache for somebody to come and sit with us. And I can't help but think of some of the the posture of this is like, right, you need to kind of become that for others so you can help teach them the way of interacting. How, yes. how, how many people are talking like this? How many people like yes. to go, <sighs> suffering is the thing you should enter into? Everybody's like, no, it's not. I run from that. I, I, yes. I go, I go. I soothe it. I want to go get some Chick-fil-A or like, give me, give me like the, the dopamine hit. I need to like now look at my phone and scroll. Cause this has like been a hard podcast. Yes. I get it. Pay attention to those pieces in you that need to be soothed. Yes. Yes. Before we got on, our producer, Alan was reminding me that many people don't have someone to meet them in their suffering. And this is the, absolute unique and beautiful offering of the Christian faith that I'm not familiar any other faith offers this because Buddhism is escape it. It's it's there is no suffering, right? right? You quote transcend it, but Christ enters into it. Right. The man of sorrows acquainted with grief Mm -hmm. does not forsake, does not leave us. And so even though we might not have skilled people around us or just good friends who have some maturity, we do have God. Mm-hmm. We do. To meet us in these places and, and 
you know, Paul goes on to say, so that we may comfort others mm -hmm. with the comfort that we have received. In fact, I think he proceeds that by saying, if the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, then the comfort of God does as well. Mm. So I think seeking that out, looking for it, praying for it, and in my experience, it comes as I enter the suffering right. and name it, you know, journal about it, express it. This isn't the first podcast that I've confessed my baseball bat and trash can mm -hmm. approach. I think everyone needs it. <laughs> You don't actually have like some kind of promo deal with baseball bat manufacturers, do yeah, you? Yeah, I should, man. I Well, it's funny. So you know there are rage rooms now? Have you heard about this? No. I should have patented this. This is where you get to go in and break everything? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. I have seen this. Yeah. You can go in and like, you know, just trash an old television set or something. Because, break all the plates. Okay. So people need help with their emotions. Mm -hmm. So now it's a thing you right. can go do. So last week, as we were talking about, you know, get a spatula, get a running shoe, a sofa cushion, go ham on that, because it is as we enter our suffering, that Christ meets us in it. Mm -hmm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say, yea, though I circumvent right. on a higher ridge. Once I realize I'm down there, you bring in the helicopter and yes. get me out of it immediately. Yes. The, yeah, the valley. Mm. It's he you are you are there with me. Mm. Our God is a very present help in time of need. And so it's as we choose to enter the difficult, right, that then we are able to enter the difficult with others. Yeah, Dad, there's there's two reasons why I have suggested, I don't know if we're going to end up using it, but I think now that I'm talking about it, we probably will, call this series Through the Doorway. Mm. And there's two images that are rooted in that for me. One is the uh, doorway at, in the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh like my the gosh. doorway is this portal through which all of mankind and all of creation is given the opportunity to walk through mm. and go into the new creation or to turn away from and deny Aslan in this moment and go into darkness. And it's this passing through the doorway of death. Like they are leaving that life behind and yes. they are walking through a literal doorway to come into the new creation. The other one for me is from Hosea 2.15 there I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the Valley of Achor into a door of hope. The Valley of Achor was this place where the Israelites had had to massacre some of their own people and burn them because there was this battle they were going into that they lost because one of the tribes was unclean, like turned away from God and it had this massive consequence. And so they were forced to stone and burn Jeez. and bury Jeez. this light. So it's this tomb. The Valley of Acor is a tomb and, it, and this monument to our failings, our turning away from God. And here the prophet's going, I'm going to turn the Valley of Acor into a door of hope. I'm mm. going to turn the monument to your suffering, your past, your loss, your grief into a doorway that you will walk through into hope. And I'm like, okay, I want those two doors like that. Neither back to, I, 
I'm using those references now as you're talking about the Valley of Death because I'm like, guess what? If you're walking through that doorway in the Valley of Acor, like you were in a dark, dark, dark place. Mm. It's not like, guess what? Mm. You were at the beach in Kauai mm. and then the doorway appeared and you got to be raptured through it and mm. just escape all pain and all suffering. The quotes that come to mind for me are uh, things like Jordan Peterson has said, your, val- your, your life isn't vacation at the beach. Your life is the small moments of your wife greeting you when you come home. Um, the quote by Confucius, every man has two lives and the second one begins when he realizes he has just one. These things have like, come back, come back. It is going to be hard. Yes. But those doorways are there. There mm. is an answer if you're willing to go to those hard places and look for them. So let's talk specifically about death then. Yeah. Because I was really, I was in a surprising conversation several months ago with a dear friend. And we were chatting about spiritual formation, life with God, the the cultivation of our character. Yeah, just becoming more and more who we were meant to be, becoming wholehearted people. And she surprised me when she said, one of the things I do is I consider my death often. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? What a freaky thing to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a terrible idea. Fairly antisocial and morbid. Yeah. I, I mean, But? What was shocking about it was first, I have never, ever heard anyone say that. Mm-hmm. Not to me, not in a conversation. Hey, I think about my death a lot, uh, other than obviously people with terminal diagnoses. But but she's not. She's young, healthy, mother, you know, life as well. And so I pressed into it to ask a little bit more. And, and she just began to describe for her what a healthy mm. process it is mm-hmm. because, you know, she would say that, it's like a good cup of coffee. It, it wakes her out of the illusion that comforts everything, you know, the, the quick and easy is everything. And it really helps her appreciate her life, but also kind of, I guess it's Psalm Psalm 90, right? The Psalm that Moses wrote, the, mm. the one that we're sure that he wrote. And he says, teach us to number our days so that we may apply ourselves to a heart of wisdom or Mm -hmm. so that our hearts may gain wisdom. Mm. Why? You know, they make these calendars where they literally have taken the average life of a person and they've grayed out all of your childhood and they've grayed out all of your weekends and they've grayed out maybe if you can get to retirement, you know, these days feels a little, eh, but, and then it just condenses it down and, and shows you like, guess what? Here's how many days you have left back to that numbering your days piece. And people like find it incredibly orienting. Why? Well, because think about it like this. The elite special forces of the United States employ similar mental tactics to destroy their recruits. The um, Green Berets do this. The Navy SEALs do this. The Army Rangers do this. It is load up. Get your ruck on, 50 pounds, get your boots on, run, go. Oh, this is the How far? you don't know when the exercise ends. Right. Exercise. How far? Yes. How long? No yes. idea. Go. Should I pace myself? Don't know. There's a cutoff time. So 
but how far do you think you got to go before you get cut out? Like it destroys people because of that mental exercise of, I don't know how long, I don't know how far, I don't know when this suffering, this weight, this just like drudgery ends. And I would go, yeah, there's that, that breaks people. And that is the same scenario that breaks people in chronic illness, the same scenario that breaks people in terminal diagnoses, the same scenario that, that breaks people with just a, a life of heartbreak. You go, how long do I have to keep putting one foot in front of the other? Mm. And if you were to sit down with that person and you'd go, hey, I, I've been able to peer around the corner. I've come back from the future, whatever it is. You have two years. You would live differently. Mm. That would be the smelling salts to go, oh, uh, oh, two years? Oh, or you have two days. I have a quote somewhere from the um, Becoming Cousteau, um, National Geographic yeah. made a, a film about. And early in the film, it talks about his life where he was kind of heading in one direction. And then he gets into this motorcycle accident on this back country road. And he, the quote is, I'm lying there feeling my life bleed out from me, staring at the stars. And I knew that I was dying. And for me, it changed everything. It's like, why does that moment that so few of us Mm. come back from, feel so orienting to people. Mm. Why does it take that level of, guess what? It, it is finite. That might be the last conversation you had with that person. And I don't want it to be this sense of fear, anguish, despair. Nope. Um, but if you have the orientation, the worldview of, I believe we are eternal beings destined for more time together. However, I am in the room with you right now and why would I leave unsaid the things that I will regret forever if mm. I had not mentioned them? We talked about this in the podcast with John Dale and Jamie on if Christ was coming back that a couple of what months ago now. Yeah. And it for me it stirs that piece. I'm like, what are you gonna wish you'd said? What are you gonna what are you gonna wish you had done? What are yes. you gonna wish that you had taken up? Yes. Like that orientation. Yes. You know what I feel this pulling me out of right now? I can feel one of the tonic effects, and it is it pulls us out of our self-protection. Mm. That damnable thing in us that is so committed, just this fundamental commitment to self-protection. Yes. And gets in the way of most of my loving, it gets in the way of most of my risk-taking. It gets in the way of, of friendship. It gets in the way of laughter, right? Right. I mean, this is how I interpret Revelation 12, 11. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Like, yes, if I live in the fog and the malaise and the like, the green beret, run. For how far? I'm mm. not going to tell you. When does the suffering end? We don't know. Mm. But if you slow down, you're out. That gets lifted with this, oh, no, I am finite. I only have so many years. I have only so many years with my kids as kids. Like I I can remember a couple of years ago, um, I'm sitting in the backyard at summertime and um, we, Susie and I miscarried our first child and it was brutal. It, it was horrible. It was holy. Um, we refer to him as... Um, pure gift. Mm. That was the word we got mm. because it, it was like he and his death unlocked some new part of my being. 
And so I'm sitting in the backyard after we've now had our, our rainbow baby, which is what they call the, the child that follows a miscarriage. And I'm watching her as a two-year-old, just like the, those chubby little toddler feet step into the grass, like chasing after grasshoppers in our backyard. And I was like, why are my cheeks wet? When did I start weeping? And it was this. It was like, that is a fleeting moment. And, oh, and I live it more fully. I'm more present to it. I'm a better father when I see it as a passing moment, when I'm not dissociated from the limited nature of it. Like I, I want to come back to it because it gets me out of my safety. It makes me be the dad that gets mm. off of the the steps and puts my phone down and goes and mm. is present with my daughter mm. and not out of a sense of, again, despair, but in a sense of just guess what? Here it is. It is right in front of you. Yes. Are you going to enter into it? Yes. Will you let yourself feel the joy and the beauty and the pain and live and move towards others? Will you not fear so much death that you live your life? Be another way of phrasing that verse in Revelation. Yes, that you don't live your life. Well, like, do you? can you not fear death yes. and therefore live your life? Yes, got it. Okay. I'm thinking of a funny analogy right now, but I'm connecting the dots of self-protection mm. and the way it numbs us to our own life and therefore the lives of others, right. our own suffering and therefore the suffering of others, our own death and therefore the death of others. And there's a beautiful story told. I think he tells it of himself. I think it's, yeah, it's in Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis's autobiography. And Lewis loved weather. Sunshine, rain, fog, wind. And what he decided to do was that whatever the weather was that day, he would go and find the most weathery place of it. Mm. Okay, so if it was windy, he'd go to the windiest place. If it was rainy, he'd go to the rainiest place. On his walks, he was, mm -hmm. he was a walker every day. And there was something about choosing to enter in. Rather than looking out the window and going, oh, it looks a little foggy, uh, I think I'll stay in, or whoa, it looks really rainy, he would put on his slicker and go, no, let's go into the rain. Let's go mm -hmm. splash in the puddles. Let's, let's get to the rainiest place we can find today. I love it. Yes. And there's something about that. I will choose to enter in mm. versus I will self-protect. Self-protection, man, that thing is... It's just in the way of love and everything else. Right. Because to use that example, you don't go outside. You wait. You you don't move towards the friend who seems to be lonely and hurting. You wait until mm. it's comfortable. Yes. You limit, back to what we talked about last time, you limit your own emotional range. Mm. Because you go, when I experience grief, I fall all the way down that well and I'm never coming back out. Therefore, I don't experience mm. grief. And as a consequence, you don't experience extreme joy. You just begin limiting and hedging and, and becoming mm. this shell mm. of a person who, when you die, what will be said of you? Yeah. What will your friends say? As we were preparing right here in the studio this morning to record, we pause, we pray, we center, we listen, you know, we we align with God and his heart for you all. And it was amazing. The almost loudly, quickly, 
I heard Jesus say, you have nothing to fear. Mm. You have nothing to fear. Some friends got that hard phone call you don't want to get, you know, that um, someone dear to them uh, got the got that they got the deadline the diagnosis was already there but mm-hmm. they got the deadline mm-hmm. was you only have months yeah um all, all all treatments now have failed you you have months now and their response was was like can we come over mm. that's not that's not my instant response mm-hmm. like like it, it self-protected me wants to go <gasps> right no. Freeze. Paralyze. Don't have what you need. You're not sure what to say now. Um, but I love that move towards. Mm-hmm. Move towards. Another friend of mine, he's teaching his sons true masculinity. And he one of the phrases he uses with them, he says, when chaos breaks out, we rush in. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. That's beautiful. Right yeah. when when suffering breaks out, we rush in. Yeah, there's a few like anchoring points for me in the the Bible, and I've shared most of them in this series. Like the the story with Lazarus, where you like such a orienting way of seeing God made man able to go and take his time and and not skip the process. Another for me is the story um, in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's not because of Veggie Tales, but thank you very much for that. Um, It's because when I look closely at the moment of their defiance and their faith, it feels really disorienting to me because it's it's holding two truths that are conflicting, or that they they seem to be at the same time. And they're standing there going, we're not going to worship you, O king. We're not going to bow down. You may cast us to the fiery furnace like that. And this is this is the line that just feels like it baffles me and I get, I get pulled to it. And it's this piece of, um, if you cast us into the flame, like our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from burning and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. I look at that and I go, how are you holding both of those things at the same time? How are you holding this deep conviction of I will be well, he will save me. I will not perish in those flames. Mm. And if he doesn't save me from that, I will still be okay. You're like, what you just argued with yourself. Mm. You just said that you weren't going to have it, but if it happens, it's still something in me goes, Oh, that's a posture. I want to be able to cultivate whether it's suffering or death or just life in general. I want to go, I will be okay. I trust that I will be well. I trust that I will have what I need in the situations to move towards others. And if I get there and I don't have the words or if something happens to me or my family that we, we aren't getting through unscathed, I still believe I will be well. Like you, you can even say that to people. You can say, I don't really know how to be with you right now but I'm not leaving. Right. I don't have words for this. Ask them, what do you need? Mm. What would be meaningful to you right now? Do you, do you want to talk? Do you want to be quiet? Do you want to break dishes? Do you want to walk? Do you want to go get ice cream? Right. Ask them. I, it's, I, I, it's okay to admit your discomfort. Yeah. And then to say, I'd really like to be present with you. I'm going to choose to stay. What, what do you need? What would you like? What would be helpful to you? Yeah. 
this is what we're banking on. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were banking on. Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. Fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. There's this lovely song by Porter's Gate with Audrey Assad, Nothing to Fear. And sometimes I'll just play this to myself alone in my car, just reminding me this is the overwhelming message of the of the scriptures of the heart of god uh, of the story of jesus you you are not alone you will not be forsaken it will not overwhelm you 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 have nothing to fear mm. which allows us then to enter into the hard in our own life with christ and enter into the hard in other people's lives. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the depths of the river shall not overwhelm When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I am the Lord. I Nothing to fear, gang. To love, to enter in, to be present, to come out of self-protection. What else would you like to say as we close? Yeah, I I would hope that my legacy and the and the legacy of the people that choose to live this way is like cultivating a resilience that can push into suffering, that do not shirk away from the doorway that is coming and rather journey with others in the process. And again, experience that suffering because it is part of the human emotion, which also lets you experience the joy. We're not looking for you just to get stuck in that place, but to have the full realm and capacity to not feel limited. I have starred here at the end this line that at least I found Diedrich Bonhoeffer said on the the day of his hanging in 1945, his last words were, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. Mm. This is the end for me, the beginning of life. Right. Yes. And I just, you know, the grammar makes a big difference in the sentence. Yes. And yet it's also like, what a posture to have. This is the end for me the beginning of life. Yes. Like, what a posture. Yes. Yeah.